0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program.
1: And God says to Jeremiah, have you seen what they're doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? And Jeremiah could have prophesied this and the people
0: could have gone... God can't see us out there. He lives in there and we shut the door. God wanted to speak to the Israelites, so he sent his prophet Jeremiah. But the people didn't listen. Often the hardest to reach with God's voice are the very religious. And that's not a new phenomenon. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for a look at Jeremiah chapter 7. And heaven has no queen.
1: Got your Bible. Please turn to Jeremiah chapter 7 from verses 16 down to 20. I could make this really controversial, but I'll just let the text do its work. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, without you, we, we cannot possibly understand your word. Without you shedding light, all I can do is generate heat. And Father, I don't just want to generate heat. I do, but not just that. I want to generate light and heat so that, Father, the light of the Holy Spirit's illumination can take, take this text and help us to see what's always been there, but we've never quite seen it right. Father, I pray that the heat of the Holy Ghost, the heat of the passion of Christ would so ignite our soul that Lord, we would just feel a deep, deep love for Christ. Help us to be God-fearers. Help us To be Jesus besotted. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Heaven has no queen. Heaven has no queen. And we're going to see that, in fact, in this passage, we're going to find a remarkable thing. When God bans prayer, who would have thought God would tell someone not to pray? I don't think that's the word of the Lord to us today. My suspicion is it's probably the opposite. Please pray. But here's an instance, here's an example, a, a moment in time when, in fact, it's the only place, this period is the only time in the history of Scripture where God tells his people, particularly Jeremiah, not to pray. It, it it occurs once in in 1 John chapter 5 in a sort of a way, but here we have God telling Jeremiah don't pray for these people. And we'll we'll explore that in a moment. So heaven has no queen, and as I was reflecting on this, I was I was mindful that you know, we could do a history of of how this pagan concept of a of a queen of heaven has kind of influenced branches of Christianity, and you know we could we could do that, and I, I and I don't particularly want to focus on that, but but I hope that you can see some of the origins of some branches of Christianity that claim there is a queen in heaven who can be prayed to. In fact, we'll just back up a little bit. When we look at this section, I want you to see that there's a reason why things had become so bad. If we come back to verse 8, chapter 7, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, "We are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations." Now, I guess it, this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense unless you realise just how important the temple was in the the the, the 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 religious life of of Israel. If you read Psalm one hundred and twenty-one. We read this, Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. What hills were they? That was the hill where the temple was. This is called a psalm of ascent. That is, when the, when, when the worshippers would be ascending up the hill to come to the temple to worship. I lift my eyes under the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord. And they're looking at the temple as they're walking up that hill. And then Psalm 122, the next psalm, says something like this. And, and you may have heard one verse taken out of Psalm 122, especially if you're a, a dispensationalist. And that is this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But the whole context of Psalm 122 is, may the Lord bless his temple. And it goes on and it says in Psalm 122, this temple is where God dwells. This temple will never be destroyed. This temple will last forever. Wow. So just Hold those thoughts for a moment as we read what we're about to read here. Verse 11, this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that is in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first. Now, we mentioned Shiloh last time and Shiloh was... A place where the, the the tabernacle of Moses was parked, and you remember that tabernacle was was really a great big canvas wall about seven foot high and and in that it was about a hundred and fifty foot long, whatever that is in metric and and about seventy five foot wide it was it was you 'd notice it and um it's And and, and inside that precinct, there was a tent, the tent of meeting, where where the Ark of the Covenant was. And there was a candlestick and a table and all the rest of it. And it had fallen in complete tatters. And here we we read the prophet is about to say um, to Israel, uh, uh, verse 12, Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name, Dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you've done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you, now notice this, I really want you to see this. When I spoke to you, who's speaking? God is. When I spoke to you, notice how God speaks to people he loves. Notice that next word. Persistently, you did not listen. And when I called, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name in which you trust and to the place I gave to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. Now, this was incomprehensible. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. There's the temple. Psalm 122, the Lord has established his temple. He rules from the temple. He rules the earth from that temple. That's where God dwells. And God is saying, I'm going to completely destroy this temple. Incomprehensible to the people. But this is what Jeremiah was saying. Amazing. And we can read this and, of course, we know eventually the temple would be overrun and it would be destroyed. Um, And the threat was that God would cast them out of his sight as he cast out Shiloh. All right, so now come with me, verse 16. And this is one of the most profound things that perhaps we're going to see here. Verse 16, but notice this, I called you persistently and you did not listen you know what that tells me that tells me we're created spiritual we're created spiritual we're created with an ability to hear god and i know you can do the how to hear god seminars and read the how to hear god books it's almost like telling you how to breathe air anyone ever read a book on how to breathe air we're created spiritual you can't help but be spiritual But notice what you can do with your spirituality. You can become hardened. You can become deaf. You can choose to become blind. That's what you can do with your spirituality. But if you have a heart that says, God, I want to know you. God, I want to hear from you. God, I want your will to transform my life. I guarantee you, you'll be breathing spiritual air. I guarantee you. God persistently called a rebellious people and he marveled that they wouldn't listen. Not that they couldn't listen, that they wouldn't listen. Do you want to hear from God? Simply, simply ask God to speak. How does God speak? Well, God, yes, God can speak in an audible voice. I know my own dad on his honeymoon heard the audible voice of God. Of God, and there's an amazing story associated with that. So, here we have this, this, this amazing sentiment as we, as we look at this. I spoke to you, but you did not listen. Wow. Wow. So, we are created spiritual. But here's what the, the, the people would, instead of being genuinely spiritual, they'd rather be religious. And I think most people who are afraid of God, as much as a compass needle will point north, it can't help it. We too are created to come to God. It only feels like your life is ruined because you are fighting so hard as a compass needle not to do what you were created to do. And every time you fight, we're going to read in this passage, every time you fight against me, is it me you're hurting? God's going to say, is it me you're hurting? Is it not yourselves? that are being hurt in the process we're created to be spiritual but too many people would rather be religious do you not see what they are doing in the cities of judah and in the streets of jerusalem now just ponder that do you not see what they're doing in the cities of judah and the streets of jerusalem you're going ma- look for us we know the theology that god is an all-seeing all-powerful all-present god we know that but these guys get this These guys had an idea that God lived in the temple. And when we shut the door, that's it. He couldn't see beyond it. (laughs) Fancy that. And God says to Jeremiah, have you seen what they're doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? And Jeremiah could have prophesied this and the people could have gone, God can't see us out there. He lives in there and we shut the door. It sounds dumb, doesn't it? But here's God going, I see it all. All right, come back with me, verse 16. Here we are. (laughs) Uh, I once heard Alan Davies at a pastor's conference rebuking pastors who came to conference with their phones turned on, as he was saying at his phone rang. (laughs) You would have liked that, (laughs) Jerry. It was funny at the time, too. (laughs) All right, let's read this amazing verse in verse 16. As for you, this is God now talking directly with Jeremiah. As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them. And do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Now, this is, this is intriguing. Uh, and, and I hope to show you why. It occurs again in uh, Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 14. And ironically, or strangely, Jeremiah 14, verse 11, just swap the numbers around. So Jeremiah 11, 14, Jeremiah 14, 11. And and we'll go to another reference in a moment. This is really intriguing. Do not pray for these people. Do not cry out for them. And do not intercede for them. Intercede is kind of what a, a lawyer does, a defense lawyer in a criminal case where... His defendant is facing the death penalty. To intercede on his behalf is to plead for his life and hope that you can get leniency for him. So that picture of intercession is carried into the spiritual sense where we know that without Christ, people are facing the death penalty for eternity. How could a holy, loving, all-good, all-gracious, merciful God send anyone to hell for eternity? And it's a, it's, a, it's a faulty way of thinking about justice because some people have this idea, especially when you hear that kind of sentiment, how could you know, we live on earth for a, a period of time and so short, really, even if you lived 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, 120, it's such a short period of time. And for that short period of sinning, we'll be condemned for eternity. How's that fair? Well, that's kind of. That, that, this logic is the same as saying, well, what are you saying? How, however long it takes to commit the crime should be the length of the punishment for the crime. How long does it take to murder someone with a good gun, with good aim, or maybe bad aim? One second, two seconds? So what are you saying? We should punish murderers for two seconds? See, the the length of time it took to commit the crime is irrelevant to the weight of the crime. And if you're saying to a holy, eternal God by your sin, which every sin does, you are not worthy to be God. I am. Is there a greater sin than that? I don't think so. And, we, and, and and the god who loves us is a god who won't destroy us because he respects the choices we make that we will have to live with for eternity remember when i first heard that god will judge me it was it was it was a news item it was i i'll, I'll be judged i read matthew 12:36 it says every word i speak god keeps a record of and on that day of judgment Every word I've spoken will be revealed before all heaven. And I responded by saying, oh dear. So notice this, don't pray for them. This is remarkable. Sometimes the hardest people for God to save are those who are the religious. If you're religious and you don't think you need God, and you don't think you need his grace, and you don't think you need anything from God, we, it may already be too late for you, quite frankly. We may have already lost you. I hope we haven't. And sometimes I get really concerned about church kids who grow up in the church and they're so familiar with the things of God, so familiar with Scripture, so familiar with the Bible, that they don't get it. They just don't get it. I know what it's like to be a church kid. I was one. I went to church. I was, I was going to church nine months before I popped out. I've been in church all my life and I remember going to church thoroughly bored out of my brains. But then God got a hold of me, God got a hold of me and my whole world changed. And I, I began to think thoughts like, God, what can I do for you? And I would hear sentiments from Dale Moody that said this, the world is yet to see the effect that one man completely surrendered to God could have upon it. The world is yet to see the effect of one man completely surrendered to God and the effect he could have on that world. I thought, oh God, make me that man. Make me that man. I want to be that man. I want to be a man completely surrendered, completely sold out to you. Oh God. And I grew up in a youth group where kids kind of, they read their Bible. They weren't fussed if they did or didn't. But I made a commitment, oh God, I want to be that man. I want to be completely sold out to you. I've got a lot of ground to make up. God, I need to familiarise myself with Scripture. I'm not going to lay, I made a vow as a teenager. I'm not going to put my head on a pillow at night at the end of a day if I haven't read my Bible. And for the last 30 something years, I've honoured that vow. And I intend to continue to honour that vow. Jeremiah's told not to pray. Think about this. God is asking Jeremiah, don't pray to me. Please don't pray to me. What does that tell us about the effect prayer has on God? You see, sometimes we can can look at this and think God's mind is already made up. But think about the condition of the people God is saying, don't pray for them. Ponder this. How hard, how deaf, how blind were they to get to this point? And where did it begin? And probably the answer is with one teeny little compromise. With one teeny little compromise, they got to this place, spiritually, where God says, Jeremiah, there's no hope for them. Wow. <laughs> wow. One teeny compromise. You, know, you ever thought about what happens if you're traveling on the straight and narrow and you go one degree off? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about where one degree ultimately ends up? One little compromise probably brought this in for them to get into this pitiful state spiritually i don't want to be there in church i don't want anyone there and i don't want the children that we're trying to help you to raise in the lord doing up there i want to see our children going home and every day seeing their parents pray with each other and pray with them and tell them bible stories and tell them that jesus is a good god and that god loves them incredibly and that god will only ever do them good and no matter what comes our way we should always trust god even if it's hard And I want the kids to get that. I want teenagers to get on fire for God. Be totally sold out to him. Here's Jeremiah being told by God, do not pray for this people. Do not pray for this people. You know what that tends to imply? When we pray, it moves the heart of God. When we pray, it moves God. Think about this. We have reference in... Deuteronomy 9.14, where God tells Moses, don't, don't pray for them. This is God telling Moses, because he's so ticked that the people who he chose, he called, he called my people, were now telling God to get lost. And God's going, get, just stand back. Let me show you what thunder and lightning looks like. I know you've never even heard of the term yet, but I'll show you what a nuclear explosion looks like. Stand back, Moses. Don't pray for them and don't, don't get in my way, I think is the text. Wow. Wow. Church, what does that tell us about what we should be doing when we're not doing anything for our community? We should be what? Praying for them. Because it does something. It does something. This is incredible. Prayer moves God. Prayer moves God. This is amazing. Okay, verse 17. Do you see what they're doing in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? We've touched on that. God is not confined to a church or a temple. Verse 18. The children gather wood. Oh boy, the children gather wood. They were the innocent victims, the innocent pawns in a in a In a worship ritual, they they knew little about. And today I'm not going to tell you what some of the parents did to some of the children. That's for two more sessions when we come down to verses 30 to 34. But the children were participating innocently and I find that tragic. It says this. The fathers kindle the fire and the women knead dough to make cakes for the... Queen of heaven. The queen of heaven. Who's the queen of heaven? It's this, historians tell us, archaeologists tell us, that it's probably this lady called Ishtar. Ashtoreth or Ashtaroth, depending on the spelling, because in um, Hebrew there's actually no vowels, so we just kind of guess the sound in between the the consonants. So it's Ashtoreth or Ashtaroth. In New Testament times, this queen of heaven, character became known as Astarte. There was a festival of Astarte. Uh, in, to the Greeks, they called her Adonis. And uh, she was the, the goddess of fertility. And to worship this goddess of fertility, you committed sexual, a sexual act with a temple prostitute. And then there would be a festival where little round flat cakes were exchanged that eventually had a fertility cross on it and raisins in it, and today we call those hot cross buns. But the Christians sanctified I'll come to the good bit in a moment. Let's just come to the origin. Originally, those those raisin cakes they made were flat and round, flat and round, round cakes, to resemble this woman, the Queen of Heaven. And they, they mistakenly thought that the moon was this goddess, so they would exchange cakes that looked like the moon. They would practice sexual acts. Here's what's really hard to understand. The wives of the men of Jerusalem were offering themselves up in prostitution and their husbands were encouraging it. We read this in Jeremiah chapter 44 verse 17. But we will do everything that we have vowed, make, make offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we did, both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, But then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. Uh, But since we have left off making offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked nothing and have been consumed by famine. Verse 19, and the women said, when we made offerings to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her, bearing her image and pouring out drink offerings to her? How sick. Heaven has no Queen. Here's a concept. These guys had bought into a pagan system of worship that said the moon is actually a goddess and the sun is a god, like the S-U-N sun. That guy up there, that's a god called Molech. And that moon is his wife. And she's called Ashtaroth or Ishtar or Adonis or Astarte. Where by the time of the Christians, you, you get that word from the festival Astarte's. Easter, exchanging fertility symbols, little eggs, as a worshipper, the Queen of Heaven. Let's come to the good bit. Jump ahead a few thousand years. Christians battled with this mythology. And they said, how can we reinterpret the symbols here? And the woman became Mary. And hot cross buns became, well, there's a cross on them. And the eggs became a picture of new life. And it's not a bad thing that Christians have done. And please don't be spooky about it. And if you get Easter eggs and for religious reasons, you don't want to eat them. Look, I'm your pastor. I'll look after you. Now, here's the danger for Christians. We can end up becoming so religious that we create a Christianized version of this. And it's called Maryology. You know, the Bible doesn't say we should pray to anyone else but God. You don't pray to a saint. You don't pray to Mary. You pray directly to God. And it was when Christians around the fourth and fifth centuries took on this pagan symbol- uh, symbolism that Mary was made a goddess. And in fact, you'll, you'll sometimes hear her called the Queen of Heaven. And if you read Jeremiah, God is ticked. God is really ticked with this. So let's be very, very careful about what the gospel's about and what Christianity is about, because it's not about this stuff. It's not about statues and icons and idols. It's about honoring God. Verse 19. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves? To their own shame? Can you imagine that? Here they are doing the lewd prostitution acts of so-called worship, knowing that it upsets God. And God says, but it's ultimately shaming you. And it was, what a shame, what a disgrace to have so much open, open sexual immorality. One wonders, of course, what God and Jeremiah, hears these people thinking that they're worshipping in a way that just, we're just going you know, to, no, 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 God, we don't need you. We've given our allegiance to the Queen of Heaven. And since we've been doing that, we've been really blessed. And the remarkable thing is that even at this rebuke, we have to come to chapter 44 to discover they didn't accept it. They continued, they continued. In fact, when the very things that God said would happen, which would be the Babylonian invasion, came upon them that the prophet Jeremiah said would come upon them because they worshiped the god of heaven. They get to this point and in chapter 44, they say to Jeremiah, "Well, we stopped worshiping the queen of heaven, and now look what's happened to us." <laughs> We're going back to raising cakes and Easter eggs. See how we go with this. They totally did not get it. And you, I guess you can interpret your circumstances in a way that you paint God in a horrible light. But if you do that, you're distorting the biblical picture of who God really is. So, do you notice this? Worship is for our benefit. You know, when they misplaced their worship, was it me they were harming? You know, if you don't worship God, you, you, you rob Him of. Understand what I'm saying here. You rob him of nothing. You cannot detract from him and his glory. You can't. But I tell you what, when you worship him, you can give him glory. You can give him glory. You can honor him. And guess who is the beneficiary if you do? We are. Because we are made to be a compass that points north. We are made to be a spiritual people that point toward God and adore him. Adore him. There's a scripture in the New Testament that I could take completely out of context, but it would make a point. And it's this, behold, Jesus. And I wish we would. I wish we would. Because I think we're created to behold Jesus. When was the last time you thought about Jesus? When was the last time you considered Jesus? When was the last time you admired Jesus? You created to do all of that. And as we sing the songs of worship, I thought that last song that we sang this morning, written in uh, 2001 by Kingsway, what's the name of it, Kate? In Christ Alone. That was some of the most profound theology I've sung in years. That was profound Absolutely profound. And with songs like that, I'm happy to worship. So worship is for our benefit. So let's come down to what God has to say here. Verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. And what we know is it did. It did. And I was listening to some people talk about the lack of archaeological evidence for King David, King Solomon. (laughs) Any wonder? Any wonder? After the Babylonians got through with this city, there wasn't much left. It was rubble and dust. No wonder there's not much left. Do you know Jerusalem's been conquered 27 times and destroyed each time? Uncanny don't put your spiritual hope in a geographic place i was thinking how could we start a tourism magnet right here how could we maybe we could call lagana the the holy city of lagana the holy town of lagana I just hear people call these places over in the Middle East that are not much more than dirt and rubble, the holy city of whatever. I'm thinking, who made that holy? Blah, we'll make Lagana holy. The holy town of Lagana. Got a ring to it, hasn't it, really? Come to Lagana to be blessed. The people had misplaced their worship. They'd insulted God. By inventing a queen and rejecting him. Later on, we'll read in Jeremiah uh, 31, God says this, I made the sun and the moon and the stars. And you may miss it if you don't get Moloch, Ashtaroth and their children. You may miss what God is saying there. I'm the supreme God. <laughs> so here's the question, and, and I've, got to, I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm sitting in one of these seats hearing this as well and I'm, I'm letting this question sink into my heart are you fully surrendered to God because if you are you're in the best place on the planet to be if you are you are looking after your interests better than anything else you could do with your life to be fully surrendered to God is the best place to be and the best state to be in fully surrendered to God Will you pray with me, please? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to be a people who are devoted to you. Lord God, today, seal a fresh commitment in each of our hearts. Lord, none of us can live a fully devoted life to you in our own strength. None of us, none of us. That's why we need your grace. And sometimes the, the, the compass needle's got rusty and we need you to come and clean it up. And just let it do what it's got to do. And Father, do in us what you want to do. Now, Lord, if there be those listening to me right now and they've never given their life to Christ. I pray right now and I pray for you listening to me right now in your cars, in your kitchens, in your lounge rooms, in your bedrooms. Maybe you're out for a walk and you're listening to this on an MP3 player. Maybe right now you're listening in some part of the world where no one else is listening. But I'm speaking to you right now and I'm asking you this question. Have you fully surrendered to Christ? Have you given him your life? The world is yet to see the effect of one person fully surrendered to God could have upon it. If you want to give your life to Christ, it begins with a prayer. Lord Jesus, have your way in my life. Come in, take over my life and have your way. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Beware of being so religious that you can't hear the voice of God. Keep your attention on him alone, not man-made variations on a religious theme. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Part 14, Heaven Has No Queen, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277 or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.